Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval terms apply don't just ride the index seek to outperform it with fidelity active etfs learn more at fidelity.com active etfs before investing in any exchange traded fund you should consider its investment objectives risks charges and expenses contact fidelity for a prospectus and offering circular or if available a summary prospectus containing this information read it carefully while active etfs offer the potential to outperform an index these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive etfs fidelity brokerage services llc member nyse sipc Hey, it's your stepbrother's girlfriend, the one with the pet rat. What's up? It's Allie Ward. Welcome back. Another episode of Ologies. Hi, guys. Um, happy continued summer to all of our friends in the Northern Hemisphere. Happy sweater weather to the Southern friends. Boy, howdy. Do we have a special two-parter for you this week and next. Mars, are you ready? Okay, so that that orange orb in the night sky, it's fodder for science fiction, and it's a place where billionaires ask themselves, can we go there when we ruin the planet we're on? It's kind of like a very dry rebound after we crash and burn our marriage with Earth. So maybe you love Mars. Maybe you Maybe you don't know why people love Mars. Maybe you're like me. And until a few years ago, I was like, wait, is Mars a really hot like fiery one because it's red and stuff? I had no idea. So this week, you're not only getting answers to the questions you feel too stupid to ask, but also some in-depth knowledge of what's coming up next from one of the most chill but deeply enthusiastic ologists I've ever gotten to sit down with. Whew. Okay, but first, I'll be quick. So this show would not be made without the patrons at patreon.com slash ologies. You can join that club for as little as a dollar a month, 25 cents a week. It lets you see what topics are coming up next. You can submit questions that I ask the ologist directly. Also, I say your name. Sometimes I pronounce it right. So this is an entirely independently made podcast. You guys make it happen. Another way to support the podcast, if you'd like, is to go to ologiesmerch.com. There's totes and hats and shirts and pins and just in, are you ready for this? Ologies swimsuits and backpacks. You can put science on your butts. It's very exciting. It's so exciting that I was like, I should have a sale. I should just have a sale. So if you enter the code CAMPOLOGIES, C-A-M-P, Ologies. At uh, checkout, you'll get 10% off your whole order all through July. So if you decide you need an ologies bathing suit with bugs on your butt or boobs or whatever, go to ologiesmerch.com. Go get them. Also, your reviews and ratings keep it up in the charts for other people to discover. And I'm often writing this without a bra. I'm recording in my closet and your reviews make my week. And then I read them, such as Nikki the Nerd, who titled her review, I know you're reading this, Allie. She's not wrong. She said, this podcast is flippin' awesome. Every week, I now have new random factoids to spit out at people in awkward situations. So thank you, Allie, for being a geek and giving your fellow nerds a place to geek out together. 
I want to know how awkward your situations get. I told a hundred people over a PA system about getting my hand stuck in an escalator, and this story did not go as well as I thought. Anyway, it happens. Okay, areology. Let's get into it. So first off, Mars has a lot of iron in the soil, which makes it red, which makes it look like the solar system's big bloody eyeball. So hence, we named it after the god of war, Mars. So it's Aries in Greek mythology. And if you want to know more about uh, Romans ripping off Greeks, listen to the mythology episode. So the Greeks were apparently kind of ambivalent toward Aries. They were like, he's jacked and he could kick ass in battle, but also he's kind of a dick. So the word areology means study of Mars. So this ologist was introduced to me via email by my NASA friend, Casey. Hi, Casey. Hi, Christine. Casey's email between us simply said, do you need introductions? No, you do not. Then I received a message back from her saying that she listens to the podcast. She's been a patron since approximately 10 minutes after listening to her first episode. And that once she played ologies with her friend where she pretended to be me and interviewed him. And she said, and I quote, I even talked about how dirty my hair was and put in asides. And let's just say I wanted to print up her email and frame it in something ornate and gold. So this interview was on. It was happening. So she grew up in the heart of LA. She has the most laid back textbook SoCal accent I have ever heard. Maybe the chillest areologist on any of the known planets. So I got off a plane from a work trip. I headed straight from the airport to a little conference room with squeaky chairs at Caltech in Pasadena to talk about like what Mars's deal is and the best sci-fi about it. Some super recent discoveries about moons and life insane dust storms, the rovers they're building, and some of the best science dreams I've literally ever heard in my life. So please prepare for a journey into space and your rocky subconscious with areologist Jennifer Booz. There's the microphone. You talk into it. Okay. This is going to be fun. No, it's great. You just run into it. <laughs> so. so we just talk regularly, but with microphones. Yeah, exactly. You just hold it. You look at this. You're already a pro. <laughs> <laughs> You're already so good. At this point, I looked over and I saw that Jennifer was prepared with six printed sheets of questions from the Patreon page asked by listeners annotated by hand with her answers. She took the liberty of printing and answering them to prep for this. Oh my God, you printed them out. And answered them. Oh <laughs> my God. I don't want to be caught off guard. This is great. This is the most prepared anyone's ever been. So we'll get to all those questions in part two of the series next week. But just know, she is a wonderful genius. Also, her website is so worth perusing. It's her name minus the vowels, so J-N-N-F-R dot B-Z, and it features this pixely drawing of herself with purple hair and a turtle body floating in the cosmos, and it has photos of her work, links to significant space labs, and a ton of Easter eggs that you just have to click around to get into. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm interviewing this very bizarrely amazing human being. I love her. Also, someone should clone her and populate a planet with a bunch more of her. 
Your website's so spectacular, by the way. Uh, I love it you. so much. I thought about making it more professional. Nah. But I was like, that's lame. No, don't do that. Um, okay. So you study Mars. Yes. You're an areologist? Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I think I'm a planetary geologist who studies Mars, but I study Mars, so I'm an areologist. Okay, how long have you studied Mars? I'm going to get straight into it with basic bitch questions. Okay, I started studying Mars um, when I got to Caltech, so it's been about uh, six and a half years. So Dr. Jennifer Booz got her bachelor's and master's degree in geological and planetary sciences at this little startup school. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called MIT. Dude. And she just defended her geological PhD this April at Caltech. During her schooling, she just always dreamed of working with rocks from faraway lands. And it's so easy to spend your 20s focused on dipping pizza into nacho sauce and trying to get your brother to buy you drugs. But Jennifer was like, I gotta get my mitts on some space rocks. When you got the call that you knew that you would get to work on this, like, for real. Okay, so, like, maybe that moment would be when I was an undergrad. Mm -hmm. I applied to work in a lab that studied moon rocks. Mm -hmm. And um, that would be, like, my first time, like, my first real exposure. And when I got that that research position. It was like a summer position. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be touching moon rocks. Like (laughs) they're going to be in my possession. Like I get to look at them every day and like they came from the moon and I was reading Apollo transcripts like when they found the rocks and I was like, uh, listening to the audio tapes and I'm like oh that's when they found my rock oh my god and oh like my god. and then one day I broke the rock and I was like they're gonna fire me for sure but they didn't because they were like y'all rocks break oh my but, god but that day when I got that job I was just thrilled beyond belief that like I that they someone trusted me with a rock that came from the moon that like an astronaut collected oh my god yeah that must have just been such butterflies yeah that was like super super exciting and what a good lesson to learn that, like, you can break a moon rock and life will go on. Yeah, I, I remember that day I broke the rock and I just packed up my stuff and went to my dorm. I wrote an email to my advisor. I was like, I broke the rock. I'll be at my dorm. And I, like, went and I was, like, really upset. And I told the people in my hall, I was like, you guys, like, I definitely got fired just now. And, like, they all comforted me. But they were like, yeah, it sounds serious. And then my advisor was like, are you coming back? And like... <laughs> We've all broken rocks. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Yeah. And then I was like, oh. <laughs> Did you like pack up your stuff like your desk area? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Like I'd only been there like a couple days, but I like packed up everything in the lab. I like made it all neat and I just like put, put it in my, I just went back. I just like, went home and I was just waiting. Just to, oh. He was at lunch. And uh, it's like, if he hadn't been at lunch, I would have just gone to his office and probably sat down and like cried and be like, I broke a rock. But I didn't. I just sent him this email like I broke a rock. Oh, I just picture you walking across campus with like a box and like a mug that says I'm loony for the moon. And like just being like, I guess this isn't my office mug anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. That's the cutest thing ever. Yeah, it's great that they like that in my in my experience, my advisors have been really um, understanding and like, you know, just patient with me too <laughs> i mean it's nice that even scientists who study like the coolest shit even on other planets are all like we're all earthlings yeah it's good yeah we're all just little humans yeah <laughs> oh, that's so cute 
And speaking of little humans, when Jennifer was just a wee one, her folks took her on tours of NASA's JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, and she just became deeply stoked looking at the models and the replicas of the rovers. These things bumble around Mars, scrubbing rocks and taking pictures, and eventually some models zap rocks with lasers. Right now, NASA is planning the next one. There's a 2020 unnamed rover to add to the four already up there. There's Sojourner, which kind of turned into a pumpkin, metaphorically, in 1997. And there's Spirit, which is Stuck with a broken wheel, but up until a few years ago was bravely pinging back. And then there's Spirit's twin rover, Opportunity, which has been cruising around since 2004. And then there's the larger Curiosity. This is the one you've probably heard of a lot more recently. It's it's about the size of a Mini Cooper, so says NASA itself. And Curiosity landed in August of 2012, and it's been kind of bebopping around a crater named Gale for the last six years. So, fun fact, to help areologists figure out how loose the soil is and how far the rover has traveled, the Curiosity tires have a few dots and dashes in the tread that spell out a secret message in Morse code. What does it spell? What does it spell? It spells JPL. Ding dong. So, I did some digging in the dusty soil of the internet, and I discovered that rover driver Mark Mimone, he's ginger-haired, jolly-looking, is responsible for that Morse code. And also his cell number was just, like, listed. So um, I did what any classy stranger would do at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday, and I texted him, just being like, Hey, Mark, you totally don't know me, but my name is Allie Ward, and I just found out you're the one who proposed the JPL Morse code on the Curiosity tires. I'm just saying, hey, that was badass, super cool idea. Um but it's been five days and I have not received a response. So don't do that. So back to the Curiosity rover landing in 2012, which was an exciting time for space nuts. So Curiosity rover. Yeah. We landed it, what, six years ago? Yeah, I think that's right. Did you stay up late to watch it? Yeah. I volunteered at a um, like a public event where um, they were showing the the landing and stuff. So what was, the, I didn't see the landing. I think it was in the middle of the night, right? It was late. I feel like it was like 11 or something. I don't really remember though. What was that moment like when it touched down? Like, what were you doing? Touchdown confirmed. We're safe on Mars. We were just all watching the screen and I think there was lots of screaming and people crying and lots of general excitement. Time to see where our curiosity will take us. There's raw video of the NASA JPL control room when the Curiosity rover touches down safely. It's millions of dollars. So many millions of dollars. Thousands and thousands of hours and trials and failures and redos and teamwork to get this thing on fucking Mars. People in the control room, like bearded men, grown women, just all weeping with joy. Did I watch it and cry? Maybe I did. None of your business. Jennifer at the time was also pretty jazzed because that meant she didn't have to throw her unfinished PhD thesis into a burning garbage can. My like PhD research was going to be using that data. So I was just like super nervous also that it maybe it wouldn't work. And so and then I was going to have to pick a new project. But, oh, no. No, but I was like super excited also. So yeah. It was like high emotions night. Like if it literally bit the dust, you'd be like, well, there goes my... 
PhD. What was your PhD project? My PhD uh, basically came down to like five projects related to Mars. Wait a second. Before we even talk about what she was doing on Mars, let's just talk about Mars. Let's just back the hell up for one second. As a planetary geologist, can you run me through... Like, what the fuck is Mars? What's its deal? Why is it so dry? How cold is it? How yeah. big is it? Just tell me what we're working with here. Give me some specs. Like, if you were if you were a dog and you're like, I don't know what Mars is. Like, how would you start? Okay. So, Mars, um, you know, it's the next planet from our sun. So, mm-hmm. it's going to be, like, colder. It's also a lot smaller. At its closest, Mars is around 34 million miles. That's 55 million kilometers if you live in a country with a metric system and good health care away. So scale-wise, Mars is about half the size of Earth and has roughly one-third the gravity. One-third! So I looked up a few simulators of Mars gravity, and in one, there's this human in an orange onesie supported by slings taking these graceful leaps around an indoor track, kind of like a giant marionette in a prison jumpsuit. In another video, I saw what appeared to be a gaggle of French cosmonautical tourists taking a ride in a vomit comet, which is a seatless commercial jet that makes these roller coaster dips in flights and simulates lower gravity. I don't know. From what I can tell, less gravity looks fun as hell. With these middle-aged Parisians resorting to whoops, they're hooting like tiny happy donkeys or kids in a ball pit. Ah. So, Mars gravity, take your weight, Divide it by three. That is your bounding happy space pony weight. It's like atmosphere is super thin right now. But in the past, it had a thick atmosphere and there was water on it for sure. Like we have evidence for like streams and lakes and all sorts of like (gasps) things like that. And it was a lot warmer because it had an atmosphere and it used to have a magnetic field like we had on Earth. But it's dead. doesn't have one anymore. How do magnetic fields die? Um, the planet Mars, because it's smaller, it can like cool down a lot quicker. On Earth, we it's like hot down in our core and we have got iron spinning around and it's also like a big planet and so, but Mars doesn't have like all those things and so it's like uh, its core is like just not putting out th- like that kind of motion anymore oh. and so we're not getting a magnetic field anymore. I had no idea that was even a thing. I didn't yeah. know that was an option. Yeah, and the moon used to have a magnetic field too um, and it doesn't have one anymore. The Mars moon? No. Our Earth's, moon? Earth's moon, yeah. Really? Yeah. So I studied Damn. the moon before I studied Mars. Oh god, I got so many moon <laughs> questions. Oh, that's gonna be another episode. <laughs> Does Mars have moons? It has two moons, Phobos and Deimos. Okay. There's like some debate about how the moons form, uh, how the moons form, but I think uh, most people think they're like captured asteroids. So they're really small Ooh. moons and not like ours. And uh, I think from the surface, they look more like planets. So if you're on Mars, yeah, do you see two moons in the sky at the same time? I think you can, but I. But they're so small. I think that they look more like planets. Okay. They yeah. just are like little dimmy dots. Yeah. I don't think they don't look like our moon for sure. Okay. Yeah. I thought maybe it, you know, have you ever cracked an egg and you got a double yolk and yeah. you're like, it's my lucky day. <laughs> Side note, how lucky is it to get a double yolk or egg? I had to stop and check because I was like, how rare is that? Maybe it's happened to me twice in my life. Anyway, some traditions say it's really good luck or that someone in the family is going to get knocked up with twins. But according to Norse legends, it's an ominous sign that death will visit. So what's actually happening? 
like biologically. So in about one in every thousand eggs, a hen just boops out an extra yolk. She's like, boop. Usually younger hens do it more frequently. I don't know, maybe their bodies are just like, hell yeah, I'm a baby machine, let's go. As for Mars's double moons, some hot goss just came out this past week. Jennifer emailed me that Phobos, which she described as a 26 kilometer wide lumpy turd ball, or a Cocoa Puff, may not have been a captured asteroid, but possibly it was formed out of a cloud of dust that was left over from a giant impact, kind of like our own beloved moon. And that possibly, possibly, Phobos has formed many times over Mars history, and it just periodically crashes into the surface, forms a dust cloud around Mars again, and then recreates itself into a moon and then crashes again, forms itself anew again, but smaller, over and over and over. Which is like the most poetic shit I have ever heard. And also, that's more comebacks than Britney, and I respect that. Now, the decreasing orbit of Phobos, this tendency to kind of decrease and decrease and crash, convinced even Carl Sagan at one point that Phobos was just a hollow satellite put in place by aliens. And I love the idea that maybe Carl Sagan just thought of it kind of like a backyard shed, like aliens would just store holiday decorations in tubs or like coffee cans filled with nails and Ikea Allen wrenches, maybe a lawnmower that the Martians haven't used in a few billion years because the landscaping got a little parched up there. Sounds like that. <laughs> but moons. <laughs> and so it's dry. Yeah. So what do they think happened to make Mars such a dust bowl? So it, it got dry, basically. It used to have water, but because um, it's so much smaller, uh, its atmosphere um, like got lost basically it doesn't have as much gravity like pulling it in mm. um and it also like doesn't have a magnetic field anymore and like we say our magnetic field protects us mm -hmm. and so like the atmosphere just got like stripped away over time by like the solar wind and other, just like other atmospheric loss processes and mm -hmm. so um it just like lost its atmosphere got drier and drier and then now it has a thin atmosphere and everything's just dusty does the water evaporate into the solar system? Yeah, it just gets, like, lost. And I guess it, like, yeah, basically. I wonder where it goes. Yeah, I don't know. Just, like, out. <laughs> out there. Can you imagine just oceans just kind of, like, <laughs> misting around? <laughs> Maybe. I think it's, like, probably really scattered apart. Okay. It's like probably just a gas. So we yeah. have a super dusty planet. Yeah. Why is it red? Uh, it has a lot of iron. Okay. It's, like, rusty. Ooh. Yeah. And same as, like, Utah. Yeah. Similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. In a lot of ways. Why do you think people fucking love Mars so much? Because it is awesome. I mean, it's like... It I agree with you. <laughs> it's like, it could have had aliens on it. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like a little Earth that was, like, way cooler in the past, and now it's, like, a little dead. But, like, it has so much potential. And uh, it's, like, so similar to Earth in a lot of ways that people are like, we could go there if, you know, we screwed up our own planet. It's so, like, geologically diverse, you know? It's mm -hmm. got evidence for, like, maybe an ocean. It's got lakes. It's got deltas and this crazy sand dunes. And, like, there's just, like, so many cool things you can look at on Mars that it's just fascinating. I think that's why people love it. And there's just so much potential for like thinking about life and aliens and space travel and 
being on another planet and fantasies related to that. And Martians, like literal Martians. Yeah. Hear me out. Maybe Mars functions for us earthlings as like the idea of like an old cabin in joshua tree like it's far away but not that far away and it's old and you don't really know why it's kind of like decrepit but it has a charm to it and maybe you could escape there if shit went down yeah mm-hmm. so and it's, it's kind dusty of, too and it's dusty yeah. it's kind of like our our old vintage homesteader cabin in the yeah. desert mm-hmm. <gasps> oh yeah i like that idea right mm-hmm So what parts of this chilly desert are we really poking around? Now, the Curiosity rover landed in a crater, Gale Crater, named for Walter Frederick Gale, who was an Australian banker by name, but he was a real space dweeb by night. So Gale Crater is this huge dent in Mars, and it's filled with a mountain of perhaps wind-whipped debris that's taller than Mount Rainier. It looks like if you piled a bunch of brown sugar into a shallow bowl, or like a little tiny tuft of lint in a belly button. Now, why do we care about this crater? Because maybe it was a lake? Why did we put Curiosity in the crater? <laughs> that's where the lake was. Okay. so yeah, and that's if, where the cool stuff was. Got it. So if there were going to be like any old beer cans <laughs> or like signs that people had a party there we would find it in the bottom of what used to be like or we'd be like there were maybe some old fish in here yeah okay yeah I mean, you know it's like it's like a basin so stuff's gonna collect there and we had seen from orbit that um there were like layers that looked like they could have been uh from a lake or something wet or people actually really debated what the layers were and so it's just curious people were curious from many different perspectives and so that's why we went there but Picking, like, the landing site is, like, a multi-year thing with, like, hundreds of people involved and stuff, Ooh. so... Do yeah. people debate ferociously? Are they, like, in a boardroom, like, over late night, take out food, being like, no, we're going to put it in this basin? Yeah, so the landing site um, process is really a interactive process, and it's actually um, people in the general public can participate, too. But oh. they, so, like, the 2020 rover, we're having landing site workshops right now, and basically the way it works is, like, people who study Mars, or even anybody, can propose a landing site. They could be like, I want to go to this place, but then they have to make their argument for it. And so they have these workshops that are like yearly or bi-yearly and people um, present what they found out about their spot and like why we should go there and then like literally we vote like (gasps) we raise our hands people at the workshop and then and then it's like a popular opinion but then there's a little bit of influence from like nasa you know headquarters so it's (laughs) the wait so it is decided by a hand raise and then nasa's like I approve. You know, say there's like a hundred people suggesting sites. Mm -hmm. Like the hand raising process will narrow it down to like eight. Okay. And then once it gets to like those few landing sites, then NASA starts being like, okay, now we have to consider like how feasible is it to go there? Like, are there other engineering constraints? And so people might be super psyched about a a place for one reason, but like if it's not going to answer the question that it's a goal of the mission, then they're going to be like, no, (laughs) we need to stay on track. And What did you think of the Opportunity rover? Do you have a favorite between Curiosity and Opportunity? Um, I mean, I know no. that Opportunity's, Opportunity did bite the dust and it's just chilling somewhere, right? Spirit. Spirit? Yeah. What did I say? Opportunity? opportunity yeah. I'm sorry. It's okay. What did I tell you? I'm going <laughs> to learn. I went into this being like, I'm going to learn a lot about Mars. <laughs> the way, like one way that I remember that, well, in many ways, but like free spirit, like free oh. spirit stuck. You, oh. you want to free it? Oh no! 
happened. Run me through what happened with Spirit. What's going on with Curiosity? I know there have been some dust storms. People are super worried about the dust storms and Curiosity right now. Yeah. And what they're finding out. And then there was the twin rovers, Spirit and Opportunity. And so uh, Spirit got stuck, like its wheel stopped spinning and the, it was like dragging it for a while. I wasn't involved in this mission, so I only know like a high level mm-hmm. um, public kind of thing. But uh, yeah, so it was like dragging its wheel around and eventually it couldn't get out of its hole. Oh. You know, oh. Yeah. oh no. But um, Opportunity is still operational. So yeah, but the dust storm's super relevant right now because there's a dust storm on Mars. Right. And so this is not the first time that there's been a dust storm with the rovers and what in the past actually um, when there was a global dust storm um, they were worried that we may never see spirit and opportunity again because they use solar panels for their stuff for power um, but actually the dust storm like cleaned them off a bit no when the dust cleared yeah they were they had because as they're moving around dust is a major problem for our work because mm-hmm. it's just like it's really fine and it lands everywhere and it's like just like a dirty apartment kind of and it's like hard. <laughs> but if you're looking at the surface it's like hard to to see stuff underneath the dust sometimes and so actually yeah it clean, cleaned them off the solar panels and they're doing okay right now uh yeah so opportunity is like not operational right now because it doesn't it can't get enough sun um, okay but it's still alive like it's still sending pings like hey i'm here but I can't do anything. And is it because of like seasonal things happening there? Because it because the dust is in the sky is like oh. blocking the sun from going there. How big is this dust storm, and where? Why does Mars have these insane dust storms? Um, there's just a it's a really dusty planet. You know, it doesn't have like an ocean to catch the the dust that's floating around. And then um, there is an atmosphere, and so the dust is like really fine. It can get get picked up and like just entrained in the atmosphere for a long time. Mm. Yeah, and uh, so, okay, so, but Curiosity um, is also witnessing this dust storm. Mm-hmm. Like, when we look at uh, pictures of the sky that it sends us, we can see that the sky is much darker. Ooh. But uh, Curiosity um, uses, like, uh, nuclear power. It does? Yeah, it's not using solar panels, so it's, like, it can still function um, with a dust storm. I did not know that. Yeah. How, lo- how much fuel does it have? A lot. How long will it live? Uh, for more years. Okay. I don't remember. I don't know the exact number of years, but like, so the battery, it has a battery that it like can recharge and stuff. I don't know the, the details of how it's powered, but it's mm-hmm. um, some sort of decay. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll live for a while. Um, we'll be able to use it like the really power hungry things less um, in okay. the future. But right now it's like. Yeah. It's chugging along? Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought they were all solar. No, yeah. <gasps> and the next one, it'll, it'll be similar to Curiosity. Okay, and that's the 2020. Yeah. What's the 2020 going to peep? What's it looking at? Where is it going to land? So we don't know yet where it's going to land. It's like down to three sites. Okay. And um, Do you get to vote with your arm? <laughs> you know, I think that um, at this stage, I'm not sure how much the like my individual opinion matters as, as opposed to like the people in charge of the rover like okay. i think they they have a, a lot of say now <laughs> but there are still workshops there's still landing site workshops so people are still working on the landing sites and presenting and then the pu- like the public and scientists can still go and like ask questions and stuff like that so side note i wanted to see if any workshops remain and yes in october of 2018 nasa will be conducting the fourth 
and final three-day workshop to determine the landing site for the 2020 rover. Now, according to a page up at marsnext.jpl.nasa.gov, I'll put a link in the show notes, they'll be gabbing about the potential of three remaining candidate sites. All possible sites where life could have existed and or there's a lot of evidence for rocks and fluids having interacted. So this workshop, I picture it taking place in some secret marble hall, but it's just happening at a Hilton in what's being called Los Angeles North. But hello, it's just Glendale. That's like calling New Jersey New York East. But who am I to judge? Oops. Then I went on Yelp to see how this Hilton was, and reviews are mixed. Some people think the pool is too cold and the walls are too thin, and one person gave it three stars because, quote, the restrooms needed to be restocked due to my stall not having toilet seat covers. And the lady in my stall asking for toilet paper, lol. Perhaps they should have sent a rover to this Hilton to see if it was the best place to host the conference. Either way, it's going to be exciting. And now you have all the info you need to choose the rover spot on Mars. And so one of the big ideas behind like past Mars life is that that there was like microbes maybe living in like cracks and rocks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there's also in that area, there's like also like volcanism and stuff. Um, a wide variety of rocks there and a wide variety of ages, which is crucial because Mars was like probably habitable a lot old uh, in the lot in its like early history how long ago do you think mars was probably habitable right are we talking like <laughs> five billion years ago or like thirty thousand billion years oh, ago no a long time ago okay like billions of years okay like just three checking. billion years or something like i mean it, it, maybe there's like there is still some fluid activity mm-hmm. um more recently but it's like such small amounts that like these would be like really lonely bugs. <laughs> yeah, there's a big uh, group of people that want to send a rover back to the same spot where Spirit is, which is kind of a cute thought in some ways. It but is a lot, cute. A lot of people are like, "No, we want to go somewhere new." Right. But that that spot there's like hydrothermal activity, so which is like on Earth where a lot of people think life might have started oh. here. So that's why um, that's like a big. That's why there's a big argument to go back there too. Like primordial Martian soup. Yeah. Kind of. Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's any hope of sending the 2020 rover and it like bumps butts with the spirit and spirit's like, (laughs) I'm back and like gets its groove back? Oh, you know, that'd be kind of cute if they sent it a little toolbox to like fix its brown. (laughs) I don't know. I think that it may not go like to that exact precise spot, but it could. I mean, it's it's possible. But yeah, it's like a highly debated thing if if it should even be considered because we're like, it's a big planet. We should go somewhere new. Right. Yeah. I do feel like, you know, I've dated people that want to go to the same restaurant like every single night. Yeah. Come on, dude. Yeah. A new place opened up down the block. Let's try it out. I feel like we can branch out. Yeah. I'm excited to check out some new spots. So day to day, Jennifer works on the computer. She looks at images. She gets beamed from another fucking planet. Totally normal. Or she looks at how light hits the surface of certain materials and what they're composed of. And then, of course, fulfilling Bibi, Jennifer's dreams. She works on Mars rovers. And then another thing that I do often is I'm on the Curiosity rover team. And so we um, some of my days are spent doing operations for the rover. And so we figure out like where's the rover today like what's cool around us like where are we gonna shoot our laser um oh my like, god that this kind is of stuff <laughs> yeah and so there'll be like telecons and stuff and so i'll be on the um on a telecon like most of the day 
P.S. I had to email Jennifer to ask if a telecon is a fancy word for a phone call, and she said yeah. But also, you share computer screens, so my guess is it's kind of like a role-playing game, but instead of your cousin in another state having her elves attack you, it's a space scientist being like, check out these sweet-ass rocks! Um, planning out the making the rovers little agenda for it is that crazy to you that like you came to jpl looked at rovers when you were a kid and now you're like i'm on the team deciding where to point the lasers on mars <laughs> like is that banana yeah it's pretty exciting like i definitely think back um to those when i'm being little and and seeing the rovers at jpl that's pretty cool to me then another cool part about being a mars geologist is that we often study analog sites and so that'll we'll go to places on earth that remind us of mars and study them and think about like oh if we were on mars like how would this be different or like we'll ask a question like iceland is like a place where people go to study mars or also like the dry valleys of antarctica people go there really to study mars yeah and what so what is it about those places and specifically iceland like i know a lot of people love mars and are thinking about going to Iceland. Where in Iceland do you go if you want to pretend like you're on Mars? I don't know. Specific, I couldn't say like a specific place, but like there's like lots of rift evidence of like volcanic rifting. And so a lot of just like hydrothermal interaction kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So like where water and hot rock met. And there are volcanoes on Mars. Yeah. Yeah. So Mars is like super volcanic, super basaltic. So basalt um, is like what's coming out on Iceland, which is why people go there. And then it's like cold too. Iceland's super cold and Mars is really cold. So that's like you got kind of a lot of the stuff in common already. A correlate there. Yeah. Would you go to Mars if given the opportunity? Uh, I think it it depends on the circumstances of it, but like... Yeah. Business class. You're at least going business class. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, it's like, is it is there like a colony on Mars that's like <laughs> already established? Then like, yeah, but like, or if I'm going to be like a cool geologist on Mars, like, yeah, for sure. But like... One of the first, are you like... Mm. <laughs> maybe if I was like a little older. Right? <laughs> you just yeah. eked out what you could on Earth and you're like, all right, I'm ready to retire on Mars. <laughs> yeah, I think I would just like weigh it out and be like... <laughs> Like Am I ready to die? <laughs> then I would say, if, if I'm like, okay, yeah, that'd be kind of cool, then yeah. It's like moving to Arizona. <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to have the last phase of my life. When you were trying to figure out what you wanted to do, like, with your life, like, your job, at what point did you know where to steer yourself? At what point were you like, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to study this, I'm going to work there? Yeah, only very recently. Really? Yeah, because I, I was, like, so I was, like, super into science in general, but I had a really hard time, like, figuring out what ex- what exact science I wanted to study. I, like, love nature, I love camping and stuff like that. So, like, I also love... um like weird biology things so it's like into a lot of stuff like environmental science and I didn't get exposure to geology until pretty late like until basically my freshman year in college and then I was like oh dang you can go camping and do science (laughs) so that's like how I got into geology but then I was like I didn't even know planetary geology like I knew about the rovers and stuff but like I didn't really realize how big a field it was and then um I just like slowly got like more and more into it and I was like this is sick and it's only like now that I just graduated I'm like thinking now I need to make a plan for what I want to do in the future and like (laughs) strategic like projects to work on strategically for things that I know will crop up crop up so like getting involved with the 2020 rivers like um I want to be continue to be involved with that kind of research and so like 
I've been doing some stuff related to the 2020 rover calibration and things like that just to like get my name out there you know (laughs) yeah you're like come to me for your calibration and (laughs) rover needs yeah and then like participating in the landing site workshops I want to be like it's like super exciting to me now to know like all this background because when I got involved with Curiosity I didn't know as much about um, Gale Crater as like I know about the potential landing sites for 2020 so Mm -hmm. it's like exciting to be involved from an early stage oh because hear me out is it like watching The Bachelor from the beginning you really care about who's in the last couple shows yeah probably I've never had that experience but I imagine that's probably the case you accept this, Rose? It's just in, like an investment in the playoffs. You know what I mean? And when it comes to yeah. the World Series, you're uh-huh. like, this matters even more to me because I've been watching since the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I get that. So now that you're in the stage with 2020 where they're deciding where to land it, decisions are being made. And so it's going to mean even more when you see that through to completion to the end where they actually... The rover's there at the site that you all help yeah. decide on. Yeah, that's going to be enormous. It's yeah. huge. Yeah, it's really exciting. KiwiCo. You know I love KiwiCo because making stuff and learning while you do it, the best way. And KiwiCo is great. They deliver seriously fun learning for kids of all ages. They have these hands-on projects and activities. And each month, kids receive crates that are engaging and that introduce them to things like science and technology or concepts and art. And I love that all the things you need are in there. So you're not going to be running out to the store to get pipe cleaners. You're not going to run out of glue or something. And KiwiCo tests these crates with professionals and with kids to make them the best they can be. There's so many different projects depending on what your kiddo's interested in, what age or grade level they're at. You can discover the science of magic. You can engineer a domino machine. These make great gifts. I have given these to so many kids. And I also like that there's no commitment so you can pause or cancel crates anytime. So redefine learning with play. You can explore projects that build confidence and problem solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month on any crate line at KiwiCo code.com with the promo code ologies. So that's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com promo code ologies. They're going to love it. Did you know that Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, your landscape design, and they curate thousands of plants. They got climates, they got locations. I am stoked about this because I've wanted a fig tree for so long and I'm like, I don't know where to get the fig tree. I'm not quite sure where to plant it in the yard. And I went to the Fast Growing Trees website and I was like, boom, I'm in zone 10. This fig tree would work well for me. Done. And right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants and listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code ologies at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code ologies at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code ologies. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Okay, here's how I like my clothes. I like them classic. I like them well-made. 
I like them comfortable, and I like them ethical, which is why I flipped when I first heard about Quince. So Quince partners directly with these top factories, so they cut out the cost of the middleman, and then they pass the savings on to, obviously, you. They have these 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters that start at 50 bucks. They have organic cotton sweaters. They have washable silk tops. They even have 14-karat jewelry in case you were looking for a present maybe for yourself. So Quince items are priced like 50 to 80% less than similar brands. But Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And I like that their styles are well-made, well-cut, but also classic. I did not own a cashmere sweater before Quince. That was the kind of thing that I would splurge for for other people, but not myself. But I was like, you know what, Quince? I think I shall. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash ologies for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ologies to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash ologies. You look amazing. How you doing on that D, that vitamin D? Could be better. I feel you. Some of us are coming out of a winter. I don't know how much outside time you get. I don't know how your vitamin D is dietarily, but I know a lot of people, including myself, especially women over 18, 97% of us not getting enough vitamin D from our diet. Ritual's like, how about I help you? They're a clinically backed multivitamin. So skeptics, here's a multivitamin that's like, yeah, we use science to formulate this. I think you're gonna like it. Ritual multivitamins are vegan. They're gluten and major allergen free. I also like that Ritual is a female founded B Corp. So they're doing good for the health of people and the planet. Ritual multivitamins are also gentle on an empty stomach. I like that when I open mine, they have kind of a minty essence. I've got Ritual vitamins in my belly right now, to be honest. I take them every day. They have kind of a lava lamp look with oil and beads inside. I also have their melatonin caps at night when I need to go bye-bye Z's. So no more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. And get 20% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash ologies. So start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. So that's ritual.com slash ologies for 20% off. Um, do you dream about Mars? Uh, yeah, I've had lots of dreams about Mars. You have? What yeah. happens in them? Um, so like some of them are nightmares. Really? Yeah. Just heads up. I'm so, so, so glad I asked this question because the payoff was fucking enormous. Well, I had one that was like kind of like a, <laughs> it was like we we were on Mars and I requested an image be taken of like a crater wall by the rover. Mm-hmm. And um like so the the image came down and it was like not that interesting Aww. and then somebody was like do you know how much money we spent <gasps> on that image and then like they guilt tripped me about it <laughs> and that a was nightmare. like that was my what was like a mars nightmare <laughs> i had like just i mean all my dreams are really bizarre like i had other dreams where like i went to mars and like landed in a crater and there was like a lake there and then there was like an escaped convict that was a stowaway on my <laughs> rocket ship like <laughs> Yeah, so <laughs> you're like, what are you doing here? And he's yeah. like, none of your business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my uh, God. Like, really, I mean, just like weird <laughs> dreams like that. And that then rolls. I had a dream one time that's like maybe my weirdest dream that I gave birth to a moon rock. <laughs> <laughs> And like in my dream world, you could have a a boy or a girl or a rock. Like those are your options. And then the the sci- the doctors took my rock baby from me. And like if you had a boy or a girl, you know they just like weigh it on like 
a little scale. But if yeah. you have a rock baby, they put it like in a mass spectrometer. <laughs> so, so they put my my rock baby oh my in their instrument, and then they're like, Miss um, Booze, we have to tell you something. Like, are you ready for this? And I was like, what's wrong with my rock baby? <laughs> and they're like, it's a moon rock. <laughs> and then I looked at my boyfriend at the time and I was like, are you an alien? <laughs> and his mom was like, I never told you you're an alien. <laughs> that was my weirdest dream I ever had. <laughs> Everything about this is the best. <laughs> That's amazing. Were you so disappointed when you woke up to real life? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a nightmare also. No, no I can't believe these things happen in the dream world. And like, I'd never know this unless I put a microphone in your face. Yeah. <laughs> I, I have really vivid dreams. I used to keep a journal. But. I don't blame you. You got to publish these things. Speaking yeah. of publishing in Mars. Yeah. Let's talk about the Martian. Cliff Notes best-selling book that became a movie dude stranded on mars has to survive says things like i'm gonna have to science the shit out of this okay yeah so andy Ware wrote yeah. a book self-published mm -hmm. i read it you read it he was not a mars scientist no just a fan yeah it was fanfic about mars <laughs> right yeah but it got people kind of pumped about Mars. Yeah. How did you feel about it as someone who works on Mars? I was excited about it. I, re I enjoyed the book and I like people getting excited about Mars. I love when people, you know, ask me questions and I can answer them. And and, uh, and I enjoyed the book. And for the most part, like, I wasn't, like, appalled by, by <laughs> it. Um, like, so... The, so yeah, it was good. There are other books uh, like similar, kind of in the same line that are super accurate about really? Mars. Really? Yeah. What's some of the best sci-fi about Mars? I think like the Kim Stanley Robinson series, like Red Mars, Blue Mars, Green Mars. Like okay. the first book, Red Mars. Um, he he just did like a ton of research on like what's actually happening on Mars and. He paints these landscapes that are actually incredibly accurate, and the way he describes them is just like incredible and beautiful. And he did a great job, um, in of like painting Mars scenes. Good on, good on him, man. So this is a trilogy about Mars and making it habitable. And long story short, I went down a rabbit hole about author Kim Stanley Robinson, who is not a girl Kim, but a boy Kim, and he's married to a chemist, and sometimes he goes by his wife's last name, which is cute. Also, he lives in Davis, California. He prefers to write out of doors. Anyway, back to Andy Weir's The Martian, which I did read on a plane, and Confession. I will say I did read The Martian and I cried. Really? A couple times. I was like, they're coming to get you, buddy. <laughs> and I felt very emotional. <laughs> I didn't think the movie was did quite as good a job, but what are you going to do? Also, I had to stop to look this up, but scientists say that the reason we're more likely to cry on an airplane than on the ground may be due to hypoxia or lack of oxygen due to air pressure. Because being on a plane is equivalent to being at an altitude of around 8,000 feet. Isn't that crazy? Even with a pressurized cabin. Or it may be the emotional liability of unfamiliar surroundings. And humans tend to cry when we're a little scared to promote emotional bonding with others to increase our safety. So the next time you find yourself like sobbing at a tender moment of a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, like blame hypoxia. Okay, let's get back to Mars rovers. Okay, tell me a little bit about how the rovers are gathering. They gather rock samples, correct? Yeah. Now, well, they're not like gathering them. 
tell me how they tell me how they do their business. Okay, so they like take pictures, mm-hmm. um, and they zap them with lasers, and they um, the pictures are not just like regular pictures though. They have like many wavelengths of light sometimes, and so mm-hmm. you can tell more from than you could just of a regular picture. Um, and then they drill them sometimes, um, and they put them in like a on the Curiosity River, there's like a instrument that's like an oven. Mm-hmm. So they put their rock powder that they drilled in the oven and they heat it up and <gasps> then they measure stuff that comes off of it and they learn about um, different compounds that are in the river. And then there's another thing where they like vibrate the rock and they can like tell what the crystals, like different mineral crystals are. Ooh. Um, yeah. And then do they just dump it? Do they just blow it off when they're like, <laughs> done with you? Uh, yeah, but for the most part, yeah, they drill it and then they like analyze the the. It's called the dump pile. Okay, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, um, they like dump out the stuff they drilled and then they look at the dump pile. Oh, and, then, and we have like a an arm on the rover, and mm-hmm. so like we'll put the arm up close and like look at it, and then yeah, it's just like a lot of imaging, um, and then a couple of different like scientific instruments. I, so that's like for the geology, but then there's also like stuff for atmospheric. Um, detections like that sense the winds and like um, gases and stuff like that. And so, is there like a a feed coming through that just is like dee 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 dee? Like this is what we're gathering. <laughs> we get okay. So the way it works is kind of uh, cool. We uh, relay with satellites that orbit Mars. So we send um, stuff to the satellites, and mm-hmm. the satellites send it down to the rover, and the rover sends it back to the satellite and back to us. So to recap. They send information up to the satellites, the satellites send it down to the rover, the rover sends it back to the satellite, and back to us. The satellite's like our mutual friend who has cell service when we don't, and we keep being like, oh my god, ask the rover to take a soil sample. And the rover's like, holy shit, satellite, tell them the soil is so red, I can't even. And so we get our data in like batches. So in a way, yes, but it's not like constantly coming down. We'll get like data deliveries at like specified times. Yeah. Ooh, and yeah. are you are you ever waiting for one, like, knowing, like, we should get a data delivery in, like, 12 minutes? Yeah, so. no, that's how planning works sometimes, where, like, we might not get data um, until, like, a certain place in our planning cycle, and so we'll be waiting for something to come down to, like, figure out how interesting something was, if we want to, like, keep looking at it, or if we want to move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think the weirdest thing is about Mars's surface? Maybe... Like the sand dunes, they're really weird. Really? Yeah. Do they look like sand dunes? Like when you when people ride camels through Egypt and they're like, "Look at my vacation." There's like a large variety of sand dunes on Mars, and like some of them are are like dusty, and some of them are less dusty. And then like sometimes we can see the sand dunes moving, which is kind of cool, like with the winds on Mars. Ooh. But then like something like a dust devil will pick up, and then we can like see active motion. What are some of the weird pictures that come back? Because I think. I went down like a I think I went down a Google hole once of like shit that may or may not have been placed there by aliens yeah what are some weird pictures okay so like the most famous thing um I have two two examples oh my god I'm so excited (laughs) okay so like first was like Percival Lowell you know he looked at Mars through his his telescope and Lowell Observatory in Flagstaff Percival Lowell P.S. was a Boston aristocrat aka a hella rich guy in the late 1800s and he was so passionate about astronomy that he founded observatories with all of his monies he also had a formidable mustache and he had some theories that were well-intentioned but turned out to be um crackpot 
mm-hmm. and he thought he saw canals like they're like rivers and stuff he thought he saw and so he picked made all these like drawings of like what he thought was like a mars civilization he was sure there was like people (gasps) on mars and so um but like when we got better pictures it was like no there's no canals that are built there (laughs) you know so that's like that was like people were so psyched on that yeah and he was super psyched on it but then we got like higher resolution stuff and we're like oh no it turns out it's not the case and then well like when we our first images you might have heard of the face on mars yes yeah so it looks looks really creepy like i'm not gonna lie it looks like a (laughs) like a giant guy and he's angry and he's looking at you If you haven't seen this, there are images taken in the Cydonia region of Mars that appear to be an alien face monument staring into the void of the cosmos. But it looks like someone left a Halloween mask in the bushes for a year, and then you took a picture of it with a razor phone at night from 300 feet away. Also, sadly, it's just called the face on Mars. Like, no one even named it Luke or Denise or anything, which is kind of a bummer. Also, the tendency to see faces in inanimate objects like light sockets and toast, etc., is called pareidolia. I follow an account on Instagram called Facebook, like F-A-C-E-D book, and it's a collection of things that look like they have faces. It's like rocks and clothespins and wood grains. And it creeps me out so hard, but I can't unfollow it because it's like a good creepy. Anyway, Facebook, if you're interested. Okay, the face on Mars. When we got better cameras, we zoomed in on this shit. And, and. But then when we like took a higher resolution image, like many years later, it's like, oh, it's just a little mountain that's got some shadows on it. Like, <laughs> damn it. Yeah. So those like, those are really weird. <laughs> the, the polar caps of Mars, um, they're like, carbon dioxide and water and dust and uh like when they melt or like evaporate they make like crazy morphologies like weird pits and like stuff that it'll just like the you di- like you you have a hard time like your brain has a hard time figuring out what's up and down mm-hmm. when you're looking at these pictures and then they just look so alien oh how much water is on mars and when did we find it um i say we as though i had anything <laughs> to do with it uh currently on mars uh, there's not a lot of water. There's like some water, like liquid water, um, just like in pores of rocks and like buried, basically not really ex- exposed on the surface. Um, but there's like water ice in the caps. Um, and when did we find it? Um, I think probably the the best, like when we started getting these early images that showed like channels, there was no um, like solid evidence that it was formed by water, but people were like, that looks like it was formed by water. And then, you know, get more and more info on it. Yeah. How fast does our knowledge of other planets accumulate? Like, have we just gone crazy with information in the last like 20, 30, 40 years? Yeah, we've, uh, we right now we're in a time when like we have got recently and are still getting lots of information about planets from different satellites that we've sent. But like, we're about to enter a time when we don't have a lot of stuff going out now. And you know, like we, a lot of these missions that went out, they took like many years to get to where they were going. Mm -hmm. And so now like either now or like recently they've gone and done their stuff. And so, but we haven't sent out a steady stream. And so we're about to enter like a little bit of a lull. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And how long, just refresh for me, does it take for us to get something to Mars? Um, so like the data transmission, I think it's like seven minutes one way. And then what about an object? 
Oh, okay. So, like, it depends on, like, where Mars is in its orbit and stuff like that. But I think it's, like, three months or okay. something. Okay. That seems really fast. Yeah, I think that's, like, for a really fast thing. But you can you can take way longer also. Sure. You can yeah. send it ground or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not prime it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to mention that we also have Mars rocks, though. Tell me about Mars rocks. That they came to Earth. Um, like meteorites that like were on the surface and then they got ejected and then we can study them too. How does that happen? How does a Mars meteorite just get flung off the planet and just go (laughs) and just land here? Yeah. So like a big rock Mm -hmm. flies through space and then hits Mars and then it shoot makes a crater on Mars and it shoots off rocks. Some of the rocks land on Mars, but some of them get shot off like straight up in the air mm-hmm. and like they reach Mars, you know, escape velocity and they're just flying through space. And then they fly through space for like millions of years probably. Mm-hmm. And then they <gasps> land on Earth as as another impact and then we collect them. It goes from a meteor to once it hits it becomes a meteorite. Is yeah, that right? I think that's right. Okay, yeah. so once it touches down, it's like, boop, I just turned into a meteorite. Yeah. Um, how do you know what they are? Yeah, so um, we now have, like, classes because we can, like, kind of lump them into, like, these are similar to these other ones. And then, but then there are some that are, like, bizarre. And so, like, that's, like, how we found out that we had, like, a group of meteorites that different from the rest. And people started to wonder if they could have been come from Mars because the minerals in them were similar to what we thought we knew was on Mars and Mm -hmm. then so um, this group was like finally confirmed to be from Mars when we sent a lander to Mars and we measured the atmosphere Mm -hmm. and like isotopes in the atmosphere like the different ratios were the same ratios that were like trapped in bubbles in these rocks (gasps) and so we're like yep they're from Mars wow yeah (laughs) and then where do you put the meteorites like do they get stored under like lock and key because yeah. they're so rare? Yeah, they um well, it depends who found them. Okay. So like NASA has like missions to Antarctica to collect meteorites and like to some deserts, I think. And so those are property of NASA and you can like apply to study them, but you you can only ever borrow them. They okay. are owned by NASA and they're stored at Johnson Space Center in Houston. Woo. Yeah. Um but like people can also find a meteorite on their own and then I think that's their meteorite depending on where they found it. How often do areologists, planetary geologists, have someone say, yo, I found a meteorite and you're like, that's a lump of granite. Like, how often does that happen? (laughs) A lot. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) People, like, bring me rocks all the time and ask me if they're meteorites. (laughs) How do you, how do you know that they're not uh sometimes i can just like be like that's an earth rock because it looks like (laughs) yeah like i'm like that's a lump of granite (laughs) um so like meteorites often have like a fusion crust which is when it's all glassy on the outside of the rock and that's like from heating up when it entered the atmosphere so that's like one thing that we can tell and then like there are certain things that we only see in meteorites like this cool metal pattern called a a vidmanstaten pattern Mm -hmm. and it's like a crazy like kind of etching looking thing by the by these crosshatch patterns in meteorites are caused by apparently nickel iron crystals and they're credited to an australian painter named ready count alois von beck wilbenstaten which honestly would be such a great name for a cat anyway he discovered the patterns he was like whoa look at these patterns so we named them Widen, Widenstaden in his honor. And then we found out later that a British guy with a way more boring name 
William Thompson, discovered them like four years earlier, but no one cared. So some people call these pretty geometric meteorite patterns Thompson structures, out of fairness. But I think we should just say Vidman Thompson or William Staten. People into meteorites, let me know, because I'll have a press conference about it. Note, I will be wearing a monocle. Just for flair. Do you have a favorite meteorite? Like yeah. a favorite? You do? What is it? I love that there was zero hesitation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a meteorite that I studied um, for one of my PhD projects. It's a Martian meteorite. Okay. It's called ALH84001. Sure it is. Um, which is uh, named from the Allen Hills of Antarctica. That's how the ALH, it was found, found in 84. That's where the 84 comes from. Oh. And then 001, it was the first meteorite found that year. And it was this meteorite that sparked this um, great debate about if there were life was life on Mars because the people who first studied it thought that it had fossils in it. <gasps> and? So it's like a little bit still of a debate. Is it serious? Yeah. <gasps> that was one of my projects was like trying to like figure out. People study this rock since 96 was when that paper came out. Like mm -hmm. people still think that some people still think that there's fossils in it. Like like a bacteria fossils. And so like I was trying to apply like new techniques to see if there could be like a more definitive test. And so like even my stuff, it was like a little inconclusive. Oh my God. What kind of test do you do to figure out if there's bacteria in there? So I was like trying to figure out, I was using what's called like paleomagnetism where we're studying the magnetic properties of the rock. Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to figure out if proposed like bacteria, which are, they, they thought were magnetotactic bacteria so that they travel like along magnetic field lines and have little magnetites in them. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to figure out which one it was. And basically... It was inconclusive. Oh. Yeah, I know. And we thought we were being so clever. What, I mean, at what point do you have to call it and say it's inconclusive? So, like, it's really easy to say no, mm -hmm. but it's not so easy to say yes. So, what happened with the recent announcement? Like, everyone, watch out. We have an announcement yeah. to make about Mars. And uh -huh. everyone's like, I'm setting my alarm clock. I'm staying up late. Yeah. What happened with that announcement? So, there were, there were um, like, the what people call like the building blocks of life that were found with the Curiosity rover. Um, these like, um, just like molecules that uh, are actually really hard to preserve. They were found um, by the rover, pretty like fresh looking. And so they're, I don't know, just like the building blocks of life that were found and we didn't think that we would find them because they can get destroyed really easily. So that mm -hmm. means that they were like res resurfaced like pretty recently, which is really exciting. And we, that they were there at all was exciting that mm -hmm. they could have formed. And so this was a heads up. We have the ingredients to make life. We didn't find it yet, but yeah. we found the ingredients. Yeah. And that's a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's especially a big deal that we found it at all because like it's so easy for these things to be destroyed on the surface of Mars. Mars like surface is like subject to a lot of radiation and then there's like uh, lots of things on the surface that like oxidate oxidizing species or they're just kind of like not good for these molecules. And mm -hmm. so we just like I don't think we expected that they would even still be there and they were there. How did you react when you found out the news? And did you get a heads up like way before? Well, I sent, that was like a, a Curiosity rover like um, press release. And so like I didn't know about that before. Yeah. What did you, how did you feel when you found out with your team? <laughs> Uh, it's exciting. Like a lot of times when stuff like that, when when there's like an exciting like potential for astrobiology kind of um, thing coming out, what people do is like try to figure out how could it be wrong, um, like to you know kind of 
okay, this is what it looks like, but could we explain it some other way? Like, could we have screwed up or something? And so, like, a lot of times there's discussion about that. Like, um, could it be actually a, a blip in the instrument or could it be something else? And so, like, that's, like, a hard discussion to go through but it's like kind of a little interesting too and so Mm -hmm. um but then when all those things get like crossed off the list and like what's left is that it's actual detection then it's exciting i bet because it's just like kind of incremental discoveries too until you have another breakthrough right yeah like the methane um like there people propose like so many different ways so like methane is a thing that like it doesn't survive a long time in the atmosphere and so mm-hmm. if it's there at all like it had to have come from like relatively recent times and it's Ooh. like a, it's often a, a product of life you know mm-hmm. like like they say like um cow farts and stuff like that mm-hmm. <laughs> so or like bacteria and so yeah there um people were like oh man uh how can we explain this methane any other way other than like life i don't think anyone's saying that it's like life making this methane but there was like lots of debate like could the methane have come from something that we did like right. from the tire breaking or you know, right. the wheel breaking or something like that yeah but it might just be an underground cavern of farting cows <laughs> maybe <laughs> you never know yeah you don't know i mean so anything's possible just when a cow emerges from a space cave being like oh hey i didn't see that <laughs> the next rover the 2020 rover has like a little microphone on it does it really? Yeah, so it can listen to the surface of Mars, and then maybe it'll hear, like, <laughs> Now, is it called the 2020 rover because they're going to launch it in 2020? Yeah. Okay. That's that's cool. And it's yeah. also, like, clear vision. Yeah. That's okay. why it's, like, catchy. Okay. But it's going to it's gonna be named. Um, oh. Yeah, it's, like, a, con- a school children contest. Like, they're going to pick the name. Like, all I think all the rovers have been named like that. Oh, that's yeah. such a cool distinction. Yeah. It's like, hey, kids, you're going to inherit this planet once we turn it to garbage. So you get to name the rovers for your next planet. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I have one million questions for you. Okay. Is it okay if I ask you one million? Yeah. Okay. So many questions. I love that you know you are a patron. You've looked at some of these. Yeah. You've looked at all of them? The ones that were posted as of a few hours ago. <laughs> I like this is what I want in someone who studies other planets is this level of like detail and preparation. Like this gives me faith in the space program. Okay, that is it for part one. You now have a primer on areology, Mars, the absolute gem of an earthling jennifer booze so next week we come back with all kinds of very weird and awesome questions we talk about habitability more sci-fi stuff it's all the weird stuff next week so to learn more about jennifer and her work visit jnnfr.bz it's her name no vowels we are at ologies on twitter and instagram and i'll post some photos of me and jennifer at caltech recording this i'm also at ali ward with one l on twitter and instagram and thank you so much to Stephen ray morris for editing this literally the day that it goes up i've been shooting on a new show for the past few weeks and have not had a lot of time for sleeping or eating or anything and so Stephen, you're a trooper for helping me get this up on time Thank you to the patrons at patreon.com slash ologies for the amazing Mars questions you asked next week. They are hilarious questions. You are going to want to hear them. Trust me. Also, feel free to join if you like 
little as 25 cents an episode. Thank you, Bonnie Dutch and Shannon Feltis for running ologiesmerch.com for me. Feel free to join the Facebook Ologies podcast group. Thank you, Hannah Lippo and Aaron Talbert for running that. You're amazing. Um, theme song was written and performed by Nick Thorburn of the band Islands. And if you stick around past the credits, you know, I tell a secret. And this week, um, this week I freaked out because I've known Aaron Talbert since I was four. And I've been so crazy with early call times that I forgot her birthday on the 25th. And I almost started crying. I texted her apologizing. I'm so sorry. I was mortified. And she was like, bitch, my birthday is in January. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, it's June. So happy early birthday next year, Aaron. And thank you for reminding me that it's not currently January and that I should probably get some sleep. Okay, come back next week for really weird Mars questions. It'll make you 1000% more informed for your next cocktail party or capable of making the decision of which planet to live on if shit goes down here. Okay, bye bye. Pachydermatology, homeology, cryptozoology, lithology, nanotechnology, meteorology. Life on Mars.